You're listening to Good Hustle. I'm Andrew Mackey. Normally, I do a show every Monday about a season that didn't go as planned. Good Hustle is a podcast about bad teams, after all. But this week, something major happened in my personal sporting life, and I wanted to talk about it, and I needed to share the story. In fact, consider this episode of Good Hustle a preview of the second season of the show, which will focus more on the individual players who make our sporting lives richer. But if you haven't heard, Clint Dempsey retired from professional soccer this week. If you don't know about Clint Dempsey, well, stick around, because he is my favorite athlete of all time. If Clint Dempsey was a basketball player, he would have the in-game mentality of Kobe Bryant, the fearlessness in the moment like Allen Iverson, and the attitude and clutch of a more lovable Reggie Miller. During all of this, he never lost the competitive drive of a kid with a Texas-sized chip on his shoulder who wanted to prove it to the entire world, and he did. This isn't an episode celebrating the worst in sports. This is an episode that is celebrating actual good hustle. A kid from rural Texas who became known the world over, who represented his nation at the highest level, who wasn't afraid to drop a you-can't-see-me hand gesture while running past the opposing sideline after scoring a huge goal in the Gold Cup. This is an athlete who actually made a very serviceable rap song. I mean, that's amazing in itself. Everything I love about America and everything I love about sports are wrapped up in this one athlete. This is episode 13 of Good Hustle, American Swagger, the story of Clint Dempsey. First half. Clint Dempsey was born in Nacogdoches, Texas, the fourth of five children. He and his older brother Ryan became hooked on soccer after watching Hispanic boys from his neighborhood kicking around a basketball with their bare feet on a dirt field. The kids used rolled up socks as goalposts. While soccer in America is usually a sport for the privileged, that's not the case in the rest of the world. Dempsey is more part of that lineage than the white-collared history of the game so prevalent in the modern USA. Dempsey said that his parents threw everything they had into their children. It was not long before his family recognized his talent, and when he turned 10, they decided to see if others saw it too. His father, Aubrey, was a carpenter, and he drove Clint for three hours to Dallas to try out for a local club. The manager threw a ball to the young Clint, watched him trap it, and then juggle it with his feet. Immediately, he was a believer too. Two or three times a week, the family embarked on the six-hour round trip, and his dad sold his boat and his guns to pay for the gas money. Clint's mother was a nurse, and she worked every overtime shift she could, and the family gave up vacations. Special occasions were spent at McDonald's. But the Dempseys had another prodigy in their midst, and something had to give. Clint's older sister, Jennifer, was very, very good at tennis, and she was about to turn professional. The family had a hard choice to make. And so they made a very difficult decision and pulled Clint out of his league and directed their very limited resources to her. The decision left the 12-year-old Dempsey upset and angry, but he accepted it because he was very close and loved his sister. The Dempseys all helped one another succeed, no matter the cost. It's truly a remarkable story of family love and sacrifice. Soon after the decision, his sister, just 16, fainted and was rushed to the hospital. It was more serious than it appeared. Jennifer Dempsey had actually suffered a brain aneurysm and needed surgery. Clint would arrive at the hospital after everyone else and was told that his sister had not made it through. Quote, they tell you and your heart falls from your chest, unquote. Dempsey told the newspaper The Guardian in the United Kingdom. 
You hit the ground and you cry for hours. You cry until your head aches. The tragedy stuck with him, but it allowed Clint to resume his soccer career, and he made him even more determined to succeed. Dempsey explained that he had earlier spoken to his sister about death, and she had said that if she died, I will help you get the ball in the net. Clint says that's why he looks to the sky every time he scores a goal, to remember his sister. And Clint scored a lot of goals. He played with even more intensity when he returned to Dallas, and that won him a scholarship at Furman University, a small private college in South Carolina, on a sports scholarship. Around the same time, he became close friends with Victor Rivera Jr. The two would start out as rivals, but became friends and would push each other to be better. While Dempsey made the cut for the university team, Rivera just missed out and instead trained to become a police officer. However, just days before he was to take up his post, Rivera accidentally shot himself, his gun going off accidentally as he picked up an earplug from the floor. He died. Once again, Dempsey was devastated, but once again he channeled the emotion to better himself at soccer. He was being pushed by the love and dreams of those who were no longer with him, and it made him work even harder. As a tribute to his friend, Clint holds up a finger after scoring. He kept pushing. With a minuscule recruiting budget in 2000, Furman soccer coach Doug Allison just didn't have the funds to sit in Dempsey's living room and pitch the school or even fly Dempsey himself out to Greenville, South Carolina to visit. He also didn't have the scholarship allotment to offer Clint any more than a 90% scholarship, which is pretty good but isn't a full ride. Dempsey committed to Furman without seeing the school. Despite its smaller size, Furman had one of the best soccer programs in the nation in the early 2000s. The Paladins, as they were called, went to the NCAA tournament quarterfinals in 1999. They welcomed Clint Dempsey to the campus in fall of 2001. Teammates said he was the only player that would not only try things goofing around in practice, but would actually have the confidence to do them in games and not be scared to lose possession. While others would try tricks when the coach wasn't looking, Clint would do them in the middle of a game. As often as they could, Clint's parents would drive the 800-plus miles to visit him in Furman, in Aubrey's truck, to see him play. They would camp rather than stay at a hotel to save money. After a 17-5 season in Dempsey's freshman year, he earned a full scholarship, and the Paladins were primed to make a national title run in 2002. Furman had a very strong senior class, two of the top sophomores in the country, and a top-three national-ranked freshman class headlined by Chef Simo and Gray Griffin. Griffin was the co-captain of the under-17 U.S. national team. During the summer of 2002, at the tail end of an 18-hour drive from West Texas to Furman in South Carolina, the family had some trouble. Clint's father, Aubrey, dozed off. When he woke up, it was right before a collision. He couldn't keep the car from going into a barrel roll. For seconds, the vehicle was overturning, and it seemed to go in slow motion to Clint, who had been sleeping. When the car miraculously landed back on its reels, Dempsey and his family ran out of the vehicle. Moments later, an 18-wheeler zoomed past, serving as a reminder of just how much worse things could have been. I was lucky that night. We were all lucky, said Dempsey of the accident that took place. It was like there were a guardian angel watching over our family that night. Two months after his family's car wreck back in 2002, Clint had a chance to join some college teammates on a road trip to see a rap concert. Highly touted freshman Greg Griffin would die in a car accident driving back to the school on Interstate 85 from that concert in Charlotte. The other passenger in the car was fellow freshman Jeff Ximo, who sustained injuries that were ultimately career-ending. Being broke might have saved my life that time, Dempsey said to soccer reporter Ivis Garaslep. You think about it and wonder if things had been different, if you were there, but I know I was lucky. The Paladins would take 12 days off to mourn. Their rallying cry for the team became, 
let's do it for the guys who are not here with us. Furman won 10 straight games, all of them shutouts, before falling in the regional semifinals of the NCAA tournament to Stanford. Dempsey and his teammates also bonded by freestyle rapping. Eminem's movie 8 Mile was released in November 2002, and the movie further inspired Dempsey and his teammates to create lyrics on the back of the bus going to and from games. Clint was heavily influenced by Houston rappers, and was by far the best of the group according to his teammates. Clint's rap name is Deuce, the number he liked to play under, and the name he uses in the amazing Don't Tread rap video he did for Nike in 2006. Furman finished the season ranked 8th nationally, a ranking the Paladins haven't achieved since. With Griffin's death, graduating seniors, another talented teammate Ricardo Clark going into the MLS draft, transfers and a recruiting cycle that was disturbed. The Paladins went 6-9-4 in Dempsey's junior year. Clint decided to go pro. All total, he would net 17 goals and add 19 assists during his three years at Furman, while earning all Southern Conference honors all three years. In the 2004 Major League Soccer Draft, the New England Revolution drafted Clint Dempsey eighth overall. After this long journey, he was finally a professional soccer player. He would be getting paid to play the game he loved. Dempsey would make an immediate impact, being named the 2004 MLS Rookie of the Year. His second season, things were really clicked for him and the team, as the New England Revolution would have their best regular season in club history, setting team records for wins and points. The Revs also set records with their six-game winning streak that was part of the club record 11-game unbeaten streak to open up the season. In the MLS Cup Conference semifinals, New England would come from behind to defeat the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars on aggregate, which means most goals scored in a two-game series, and that advanced them to the team's fourth Eastern Conference championship in a row. During the conference championship, with an MLS Cup berth on the line, Dempsey would come up big. In just the fourth minute of play, he scored, and the Revolution would hold on, defeating the Chicago Fire 1-0. However, in MLS Cup 2005, New England would lose to the Los Angeles Galaxy, 1-0 in double overtime. Despite the championship game loss, Dempsey earned a spot on the league's best 11 squad for that season. Although the Revolution returned the majority of their roster from the record-setting 2005 squad, a rash of injuries and international call-ups would limit the team's early season success. Clint Dempsey would be called up to the U.S. national team for the World Cup, which meant he would miss seven weeks of MLS action. Because America is weird, and we play our season in the middle of the blazing hot summer, unlike the rest of the world. During the 2002 World Cup in Japan and South Korea, the United States men national team were playing the role of Cinderella. While Dempsey was becoming a standout player, dodging defenders and death at Furman, the United States was in a group with Portugal, Poland, and tournament co-host South Korea. The U.S. shocked the world by going up 3-0 and eventually beating Portugal 3-2 in the first game. They would tie South Korea and lose to Poland. But with four points, the U.S. was out of the group and had a round of 16 matchup against continental arch-nemesis Mexico. I watched this game at 2 in the morning at Columbus Crew Stadium with a great crowd. The U.S. won by our favorite score, Dos Acero, 2-0. They'd lose in the quarterfinals to Germany on a controversial call but the United States had high expectations going into 2006. The Yanks were coming. Except in the great tradition of American soccer, we actually weren't. Clint wouldn't see the field in the first game against the Czech Republic, which was a 3-0 loss. Coach Bruce Arena would then put Dempsey in the lineup at right midfielder, where he played in the second game, and he played well. But it wasn't until the third game that Dempsey made his mark on the score sheet. He would score the only goal for the United States in the 2006 World Cup. 
in the final game of the tournament for the U.S., but our dude scored a laser against Ghana in the 43rd minute. His play put him on the map. The team did not look very good. In fact, they could probably be a good hustle episode themselves. But Clint Dempsey, he looked amazing. Back in the States and rejoining New England, the Revolution assembled a late-season run, winning five games, losing none, and drawing two to close out their schedule, and they surged into the playoffs. They beat the Chicago Fire in the Eastern Conference semifinals series, coming back from a two-goal aggregate deficit at home in Game 2 to send the deciding game to penalty kicks, which they would then win. In the Eastern Conference Finals, they defeat the original MLS dynasty, DC United, 1-0. Dempsey had been battling an injury throughout the playoffs, and so in the MLS Cup Final, he'd only be able to come on as a sub. Playing hurt, he came on in the 62nd minute in a nail-bite of a game that was a scoreless draw through 90 minutes. The team headed for an additional 30 minutes of extra time. New England would score in the 113th minute to take a 1-0 lead and look to be on the brink of winning their first ever MLS Cup. But Houston scored literally one minute later to tie the game. It would go to penalty kicks, which are cruel and awful and amazing for people who aren't fans of either team. The Houston Dynamo would win 4-3. While the MLS season was over, the Premier League was approaching the halfway point. January is when the transfer window opens back up, which means if you're going to bring in new talent, now is the time. And there were rumors that our boy Deuce was on the move to bigger and better things. In December, it was reported that Dempsey was on the verge of going to Fulham in England. Fulham FC is located in West London, and they had agreed with MLS on a $2.9 million transfer fee for Clint Dempsey, pending the approval of a work permit, which is where things get tricky. If you've ever played the incredibly addictive Football Manager series, you know the trouble of work permits. If not, well, let me clue you into the misery. Players from outside the European Union are required to have played 75% of recent matches of their national team. Dempsey participated in 9 of 13 U.S. matches this year and tied for the scoring lead with 4 goals. He missed a 1-0 win over Latvia with an injury and was left off a pre-World Cup visit to Germany because he was suspended by the revolution for, you know, getting into a fight in practice. Our boy's a competitor. This is where Dempsey sitting in the first game of the World Cup comes into play. He didn't play in another game, but luckily in the two games he did see the field, he was probably the U.S.'s top player, which actually matters in these situations. I mean, we can't have a bad foreign player taking up a roster spot on the Premier League when an overpaid domestic player can fit that bill. A Professional Footballers Association tribunal would have to hear Fulham's appeal for Dempsey's work permit. Chris Coleman, the manager of Fulham, said of Dempsey, quote, He's had a few injury problems, so he's just a little bit short there. But it's not like he's coming here to sit on the bench. He's coming here because we've brought him in to make a big impact. Coleman continued gushing. Clint's a wide player up front, can play either flank, strong with pace, a good player, good touch. I saw him about two years ago and then saw him playing at the World Cup for the U.S. Then I went out to watch him a few times in the States for New England and have always liked him. He has all the attributes to be a good player in the Premier League, is the right age, and was in our price range. He was optimistic but not certain on how the tribunal would rule. We've been there at tribunals before and not won all of them, so we've got to keep our fingers crossed, Coleman finished. The tribunal would eventually approve the transfer of Clint Dempsey to Fulham FC, and we're heading on to the next chapter of his career. When he left New England, he had scored 25 goals in just 71 games. Craven Cottage in West London awaited the top league in the world 
was ready to welcome Clint Dempsey. Second half. On January 11, 2007, Clint Dempsey was granted a work permit from the home office as Fulham announced his signing on a long-term deal. This deal made Dempsey the most expensive American export to the Premier League ever. With the season already halfway done and just off playing an entire MLS season and playing in the World Cup, he made his Fulham debut in a 1-1 home draw against Tottenham Hotspur on January 20, 2007. He'd make his FA Cup debut following seven days later in a 3-0 home win over Stoke City. Clint Dempsey was joining a team with American standouts Carlos Bocanegra and the tower of power himself, Brian McBride. Dempsey would score his first goal for Fulham on May 5th, when he struck the only goal of a 1-0 home win over Liverpool. Fulham had been in a relegation fight, and relegation meant that if they lost this game, they were going to be demoted to the level below, which is not only bad, but can cost a team a whole lot of money. And Fulham, it's not exactly loaded. But Dempsey scored an amazing goal that saved Fulham from relegation and effectively guaranteed their place in the top-flight Premier League for the following season. It's because of this that he became loved at the club. Dempsey was not in the starting 11 for the first three matches of the 2007-2008 year. But after an injury to Brian McBride, he came into the team as a striker and scored in a 2-1 defeat against Aston Villa. Dempsey followed this up by scoring in Fulham's next game, a 3-3 draw against Tottenham Hotspur on September 1st. Two weeks later, Dempsey scored again in Fulham's 1-1 away tie against Wigan Athletic. These goals gave Dempsey three goals in as many games, proving that he was dangerous not only as a midfielder, but as an elite-level striker. Fulham would struggle, but Dempsey, he kept the team afloat. He'd score on November 3rd of that year, giving Fulham just their second win of the season, being used as an on-again, off-again starter and substitute. He'd scored two more times that season for Fulham. The Cottagers would beat Portsmouth 1-0 on the final day of the season to secure Premier League status for another year for Fulham. They were staying afloat once again. Dempsey ended the season as Fulham's top Premier League goal scorer with six goals in just his first full season with the club. Money well spent. He, along with McBride and Bocanegra, helped establish Fulham's identity in the United States, leading to the nickname Fulham MLS by some supporters. The next year, it was the same story for Clint. He was starting off the year on the bench for all but one of Fulham's first 11 games of the 2008-2009 season. He was still scoring goals for the team, even if they kept trying other options. In late December, he scored twice in the West London Derby against Chelsea, which included a last-minute equalizer in a 2-2 home draw. Fulham wasn't in the relegation battle this year. They were actually playing well. With Dempsey providing a spark whenever called upon, he would finish for the second straight season as Fulham's top Premier League goal scorer, this time knocking in seven despite not being a consistent starter for the team. These goals helped Fulham finish seventh in the Premier League, which is the highest in the club's history, and confirmed their qualification for the newly formed Europa League the following year. On August 13, 2009, Dempsey would sign a contract extension to remain with Fulham through 2013. He would suffer an injury, though, in January and missed games until March of that year. On March 18th, Dempsey came on as a substitute against Italian team Juventus in the second game of their round of 16 match in the Europa League. Dempsey would score what the Guardian would suggest at the time, quote, might be the most famous goal in Fulham's history, unquote. It was a game winner on a long chip shot that showed both confidence 
and talent all in one move. Fulham won the game 4-1, and this game resulted in Dempsey receiving an award for his goal. On May 12th, Dempsey replaced Bobby Zamora in the 55th minute of the 2010 Europa League final, making history and becoming the first ever American to appear in a major European final. Fulham would lose the game, but Dempsey had once again blazed another trail for American soccer as he headed to the second World Cup of his career in the summer of 2010. Clint would come into that summer as one of the next-generation stars of the American team. Gone were U.S. stars of the second great generation, Claudio Reyna, Greg Berhalter, Casey Keller, Brad Friedel, and teammate Brian McBride. Now, the U.S. squad was Dempsey's, along with Demarcus Beasley, Landon Donovan, Josie Altidore, Tim Howard, and Michael Bradley. First game of the World Cup for the Americans would be against England. England controlled the early part of the match and got off to a quick lead when Steven Gerrard made a run into the box and beat U.S. goalkeeper Tim Howard in the fourth minute. With the failure of 2006 still fresh on many fans' minds, going down not even five minutes into the next World Cup didn't do the most for our confidence. However, this is where Clint Dempsey comes up big for U.S. soccer once again. In the 40th minute, Clint fires a seemingly harmless shot towards England goalkeeper Robert Green. But Green kind of screws it up. He can't handle the bounce, and it rolls into the net behind him. The game is tied, and the Buffalo Wild Wings in Columbus, Ohio, where I was watching the game with about eight of my friends and my wife, who at the time was just my girlfriend, broke out into what she would call her first non-ironic USA chant, all thanks to our boy, Clint Dempsey. The game finishes tied 1-1, or as the news would jokingly put it, America defeated England 1-1. It's like the War of 1812 all over again. History joke for everybody out there. Clint started the second game, which was a controversial tie with Slovenia. The U.S. had gone down 2-0 heading into halftime, but rallied to tie the game in the second half. America could have taken the lead, but the goal that was scored was disallowed by the referee, and it finished in a 2-2 tie. With just two points on the tournament, the U.S. needed to win the next game against Algeria to ensure that they would advance to the knockout stage of the 2010 World Cup. Early in the game, the United States nearly gave up a goal as an Algerian shot hit the crossbar. Throughout the remainder of the game, the U.S. had a number of good chances against a solid Algerian defense that allowed just one goal from the previous two games. Striker Josie Altidore had a shot at an open net, but he missed. Dempsey had a goal disallowed for a controversial offside call, and then later hit the crossbar on a shot and missed an empty net on the rebound. After 90 minutes of scoreless soccer, the United States were at the risk of elimination. With England leading Slovenia, 1-0. A scoreless tie for the U.S. would have caused them to finish third in the group with just three points, behind England on five and Slovenia on four. However, in stoppage time, American goalkeeper Tim Howard quickly threw an outlet pass to Landon Donovan. Donovan moved up the ball as fast as he could down the side and passed the ball just outside the box to Josie Altidore, who then crossed the ball to an open Clint Dempsey in the middle of the box. With the Algerian goalkeeper closing in, Dempsey shot fast, but it was blocked. However, Donovan followed up the shot himself and rebounded it right into the net for an easy goal. It's the most famous goal in U.S. history. The U.S. would hold on the win in the final few minutes, 1-0. It's still fun to watch eight years later on YouTube. The late goal not only saved the United States from elimination, but allowed the U.S. to win the group, which they haven't done since 1930, advancing to play Ghana in the round of 16. 
the U.S. would then lose in the round of 16 to the bane of American soccer's existence, 2-1. Dempsey had scored in two straight World Cups and was in peak form heading back to Fulham for the Premier League season. Back in Europe, it appeared that, once again, Fulham was going to try other options to start the season. Dempsey was on the substitute bench for Fulham's first two away games of 2010-2011. He finally became a regular starter, though, only one of five U.S. players in the Premier League to ever do so. On March 19th, Dempsey became the first American player to score 10 goals in a Premier League season, beating Brian McBride's previous record of nine, also set while at Fulham. Dempsey would break Fulham's Premier League goal-scoring record by scoring twice in a 3-0 victory over the Bolton Wanderers on April 27, 2011. At this point, he scored 33 goals for the team in the Premier League, topping both McBride and the incredibly named Steed Malbrink with 32. Dempsey was voted Fulham Player of the Year for the 2010-2011 season by Fulham's fans. His 12 Premier League strikes meant he was once again the club's leading goal scorer. The next season would be another one in Europe, and on December 5, 2011, Dempsey scored in the 85th minute to secure a 1-0 win against Liverpool at Craven Cottage. That goal would propel Dempsey to become the most prolific U.S. goal scorer in the Premier League's history, passing Fulham legend and fellow American Brian McBride. Dempsey kept breaking records and putting it all out there. On January 21, 2012, Dempsey scored his first Premier League hat-trick against Newcastle United, while the game ended in a 5-2 win for Fulham and sent his goal tally in the Premier League to 9 for that season. With his hat-trick, he became the first-ever American player to score a hat-trick in the Premier League. Dempsey's form would continue against the Wolverhampton Wanderers, where he would score twice in a 5-0 victory for Fulham. On March 8, 2012, the day before Dempsey turned 29, Fulham manager Martin Jahl revealed that the club had opened up talks with him on a new three-year contract. Dempsey would score his 14th and 15th Premier League goals of the season, bringing his tally to 21 in all competitions in a 3-0 away win over Bolton on April 7th. Those goals gave Klimt Dempsey the record for Fulham for most Premier League goals in a single season. He would finish fourth on the Football Writers Association Footballer of the Year list behind the winner Arsenal's Robin Van Persie and Manchester United pair Wayne Rooney and Paul Scholes, who came in second and third, respectively. And these are very good names to be on a list with. Dempsey became the first American player to reach the milestone of 50 goals in his Premier League career with a free-kick goal against Sunderland in the last home game of the season. He was playing the best soccer of his life, and he was finally getting the respect he had been fighting for as a player for so long. That drew the attention of bigger clubs around Europe. Rumors began swirling that Dempsey would be headed to Anfield to play for historic giant Liverpool. At the time, his transfer value was almost $18 million. In a press release on August 31, 2012, it was announced that Fulham Football Club can confirm, on Friday evening, Clint Dempsey joined Tottenham Hotspur. Clint was a very influential player for Fulham over a number of seasons, and the club thanks him for his contribution and wishes him well for the future. Tottenham paid a fee of $8.78 million to acquire Dempsey. Extra Time The deal with Tottenham Hotspur made Dempsey the highest salaried U.S. soccer player of all time. With the 23 shirt that he wore at Fulham and the number 8 that he wore with the national team unavailable, he opted for the number 2, more usually associated with right backs, but the number he wore at Furman, and led to his nickname Deuce. His first goal was a game-winning goal for Tottenham in a 3-2 win over Manchester United. 
It was the first time in 23 years that Tottenham had won at Old Trafford. They won again last Monday, 3-0, but this isn't about that. As I'm recording this episode, we just lost to Watford, so that's very Spursy. Back to Deuce, though. He'd score again for Spurs in the 39th minute in an away game at Southampton in October. On January 20th, 2013, in driving snow at Tottenham's home field, White Hart Lane, against league leaders Manchester United, Dempsey would score a game winner in the 93rd minute. The goal was his fourth in four appearances in 2013. He was in new colors, but he was still scoring goals. On April 21st, he scored the first of three goals for Tottenham in a 3-1 win over Manchester City. On May 12th, Dempsey scored a long-range goal and added an assist while playing against Stoke City to help Spurs win that game, too. On April 11, 2013, Clint Dempsey would score two goals against FC Basel in the second leg of the Europa League quarterfinals to send the match into extra time. Tottenham would eventually lose on penalties and were eliminated from the competition. But with Tottenham selling world-class superstar and future man-butt enthusiast Gareth Bale, they suddenly had a lot of cash and were spending it. Dempsey wanted regular playing time. He wanted a chance to shine, and so he began to look around for another opportunity. That leads us to Dempsey Watch. Dempsey Watch was a Twitter hashtag that was watched by American fans anxiously during the summer of 2013. Where was American hero Clint Dempsey going? Where had he been seen? Well, Deadspin's Barry Pachesky ran down a Grant Wall article from Sports Illustrated that had a TikTok of the events in describing how he came back to the United States. It really shows how flawed Major League Soccer is. Now, full disclosure, I say this as a Columbus Crew fan, you know, the team that Major League Soccer is trying to move to Austin, Texas for a skis bag owner. So yeah, there's a little bit of bias here. But this is a great article, and it shows Dempsey's importance to the game and in the United States specifically. And it gives it to us all as it happened, which I think are always more interesting than retrospects. You don't have the same feeling. So Let's go back to August 2013. It reads, Sports Illustrated's Grant Wall has the TikTok on how Clint Dempsey ended up a Seattle Sounder. In a deal that caught everyone by surprise, it's a great read for anyone interested in the behind-the-scenes stuff. But I was particularly taken by how much of the dealing wasn't by the Sounders at all. Instead, it's clear that MLS really wanted to put Dempsey in Seattle. Just how much MLS was behind the move became clear early. The Sounders GM found out about Dempsey's availability in a phone call from league VP Todd Durbin. Quote, Adrian, there's a chance you could get Clint Dempsey, unquote, Durbin told him. At the same time, MLS Commissioner Don Garber emailed Sounders owner Joe Roth. Dempsey was interested in returning to Major League Soccer, but only to Seattle, Los Angeles, and Toronto. For various reasons, MLS pushed Seattle ahead of the other two. Wall sources say Toronto accepted that it was better for the league if Dempsey were to play in a U.S. city. As for Los Angeles, I think it was important that Dempsey ended up, how do I say this politely, not in Los Angeles, said Roth, because from a perception standpoint, it would make MLS essentially like a one-team league when it came to important international players. Dempsey negotiated exclusively with Seattle, and they arrived on a deal, $24 million in salary over three and a half seasons. The $9 million transfer fee to Tottenham was not paid by the Sounders, but by MLS. There are even questions over how Dempsey bypassed the standard process for returning American players. While most MLS owners appear to be happy that Dempsey has joined the league, not all of them were satisfied with the process in which Seattle got him. Quote, the league wanted Dempsey in Seattle, unquote, said one rival league executive. Some MLS owners were confused by the mechanism of Dempsey's arrival, 
thinking that like other returning U.S. national team players, he would be part of the allocation process. Seattle rival Portland is number one on the allocation list. MLS says this does not apply to designated players. The process was all above board, at least legally. Major League Soccer has a single entity structure, meaning all the teams and player contracts are technically owned by the league, with the club owners contracted to operate them. If MLS wants to manipulate its incoming contracts to place certain players in certain cities, it's absolutely entitled to do so. As for MLS covering Dempsey's transfer fee, that's something the league has openly mooted as a strategy for drawing top-flight talent. So while the competitive balance issue is up for debate, Dempsey to Seattle is an obvious move for a league on the verge of signing a new national television deal. MLS is always going to do what's best for MLS. And that's the end of the story. Hashtag save the crew. So on August 3rd, 2013, Dempsey signed with Major League Soccer Club, the Seattle Sounders, as a designated player on a four-year contract. He again donned the number two shirt, forgoing the number eight he usually wears for the United States and the number 23 he wore at Fulham. The previous wearer of the number two shirt, future American international DeAndre Yedlin, would move to 17. Dempsey would make his MLS re-debut for Seattle on August 10, 2013, in a 2-1 victory over Toronto. When the MLS season was over, he'd go back to Fulham on loan, which was great to see. When the MLS season started back up, he was in the rave green and running the pitch for the Sounders. During the summer of 2014, Dempsey would once again be selected to represent the United States in a World Cup. He wasn't just selected, though. He was named the team's captain. The U.S. had been drawn into the tournament's Group of Death, which is a code word for, man, this group is hard. Germany, Portugal, and, you guessed it, Ghana joined the United States in the group. The U.S.'s first game would be against Ghana, a team that they had played in the previous two World Cups, losing in 2006 and 2010, 2-1. Clint Dempsey would open the scoring for the United States in 29 seconds, giving the U.S. a 1-0 lead. They would hold on to win 2-1. Dempsey's goal was officially timed by FIFA at 30 seconds after kickoff, which is the fifth fastest goal scored in World Cup history. It's the fastest by an American. He also became the first American to score in three World Cups. The Americans would go on to tie Cristiano Ronaldo's Portugal and lose to Germany, but with a little luck, they won on a tiebreaker and advanced out of the group stage yet again. The United States would play Belgium in the round of 16. They'd play valiantly, but yet again, they would lose the game. Dempsey would go back to MLS in Seattle and play a few more seasons. Some of the highlights include on June 16, 2015, in the fourth round of the U.S. Open Cup against the Portland Timbers, Dempsey did a very Dempsey thing. He was sent off for ripping up referee Daniel Radford's notebook in protest at the dismissal of a teammate. The Sounders amazingly finished the game with only seven players, through three dismissals and an injury. They lost 3-1. to one. For the incident, he was given a three-match MLS suspension and a fine. In 2016, on August 21st, which was actually Dempsey's last game of the season against Portland, he would score two goals and a win while simultaneously setting a franchise record for most goals by a player against one team in MLS play, with the goals against Portland being his 7th and 8th. While his absence in the next game for Seattle was a scheduled rest, it was discovered that Clint had an irregular heartbeat ahead of their match against Portland. After returning to training in September, he was then ruled out for the remainder of the season by Seattle's general manager. Although he wasn't able to play, he'd finally win an MLS Cup, as the Seattle Sounders defeated Toronto FC on penalty kicks to win the 2016 championship. 
Although there was speculation about the irregular heartbeat ending his career, Dempsey was eventually cleared to play in 2017. During the season, he tallied 12 goals and 29 appearances and was named Major League Soccer's Comeback Player of the Year. He played in 14 games in 2018. He'd score his last goal on June 23rd in a game against the Chicago Fire. Clint Dempsey would announce his retirement from soccer on August 29, 2018. When Dempsey retired, he was the only United States men national team player to score in three FIFA World Cups. His 18 goals in World Cup qualifying is tied for the most in national team history. His 57 international goals are tied for most in national team history with Landon Donovan. But Dempsey, he did it in 16 fewer games. Not to mention, he's also won three CONCACAF Gold Cups with the United States. Overseas, he's Fulham's leading Premier League scorer, knocking home 50 for the team. And he put in another seven for my favorite team, Tottenham Hotspur. So that's just as good as 50. That means his 57 Premier League goals are still the most scored by any American player. Back home in the States, he put in 72 goals and 186 appearances in Major League Soccer. He was a four-time MLS All-Star and won the 2016 MLS Cup with the Sounders. His Don't Tread video currently has 2.14 million views in the 12 years it's been up. He announced his retirement on social media with a picture of him as a kid in a soccer uniform with the caption, Thank you, it's been real. I hope he gets to enjoy all the time he has now with his wife and their four children. Deuce, thanks for everything. I hope you catch a lot of fish. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Jennifer Dempsey. We'll be back to the regularly expected episodes of Good Hustle next week. Have a season you'd like featured on Good Hustle? Let me know at listentogoodhustle.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Mackey or on Instagram at Hello Mackey. And that's spelled M-A-C-K-E-Y. The show also has an Instagram at Listen to Good Hustle. Research credits this week go to the FermanPaladins.com, Fox Sports, The Guardian, Wikipedia, U.S. Soccer, Revolution Soccer, Deadspin, Sports Illustrated, and YouTube. Americans, enjoy your Labor Day weekend. We'll see you next week.